0: There's the users, there's the people who support the users, there's the economic buyer, there's the decision maker, the champion, the coach. And that is a whole 360 degree view of who the customer really is. And so when we're selling to these folks, it's really important to know that who are you talking to? And if you think about the customer journey, it depends who you're talking to, what you say to them.
1: Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight the Enterprise Revenue Intelligence Podcast for revenue leaders in yes, sales, marketing, and customer success. Because we all share the same goal, revenue growth, always more, always faster. We learn how to drive revenue as we examine real life insights from multiple angles with human flavor since people buy from people. I am your host, Mariana Kogan, CMO and winner of the Forrester Marketing Program of the Year, and I will be joined by Art Harding, Season Revenue Leader.
2: Forrester tells us 61% of purchasing decisions now involve four or more people, and that the average number of buyers in a B2B enterprise sales cycle can exceed 11. With that in mind, welcome everyone to our first episode of a new podcast, Produced and sponsored by People AI, called Hidden in Plain Sight. The idea behind Hidden in Plain Sight is to meet with industry leaders to understand metrics that we may toss around, use in board meetings, or communicate with each other. What's actually hidden in plain sight? For those of us that have to operate, for those of us that have to do, what do these metrics mean in our day-to-day lives as we're leading go-to-market organizations across marketing, sales, and services? I couldn't be more delighted. Then to welcome to our first episode, two-time customer of People AI and a peer of mine in the industries, Kathy Chow. Kathy, welcome.
1: Thank you, uh, Art.
2: So, Kathy, in preparing for this, I did a little bit of research out there. I always learn things when I listen and consume some of what you're putting out into the market, whether it's where you started with your BS in mechanical engineering at Stanford, the follow-up at MBA at Harvard, working for companies like Informatica, VMware, Nutanix, across a variety of engineering and go-to-market leadership roles. I know you've accomplished a lot, but most recently, it feels like you've really put an exclamation point on what I know has been a very fulfilling career for you, which is your first public company board. Not only that, it's in the space of quantum computing, and it's IonQ, if I, if I said the name right. Yes, you so, did. So welcome, welcome.
0: Thank you, Art. It's so, I'm so happy to be here, and it's really exciting to be a part of the inaugural Hidden in Plain Sight series, so I'm ready when you are.
2: Great, great. So, congratulations on the board seat. Tell us a little bit. I first met you when you were working in, as the SVP of go to market strategy and planning and operations at VMware. Um, that's where we first met. And I know we share some relationships in the industry, but more recently, you're now at Nutanix as the SVP of SaaS applications and infrastructure, which it sounds like the cloud based data software infrastructure, everything from quote to cash, driving the business planning. Did I understand your new role correctly? Tell us a little yes. bit more about that.
0: You understood perfectly. One of the things about Nutanix is we're we're an appliance company. We actually sold hardware and software. And as we moved to become a pure software company, we also had to move from on-prem to the cloud. So I actually run the SaaS engineering function, which is part of the whole transformation the company is making to become a hybrid multi-cloud
2: company. It's so interesting, not only seeing how your role is framed, but understanding that Even companies, I myself worked at a hardware company, Riverbed Technologies, that how much software is not only involved in your business, but also running the business, which leads me to the first question as people who've not only bought technology, but are also responsible for architecting, deploying and and ensuring that it can run long term. It feels like the last 10 years in particular, with the real emergence of the, the SaaS industry and cloud infrastructure, we have been investing and driving technology inside of our businesses at a rate faster than ever before. And sometimes I think it can loss that while we're throwing all this tech and the automation and the data and the workflows are certainly helpful, that at the end of the day, as a buyer and a seller, I still know that people do still buy from people. So as an executive who's both bought and led go to market teams, what does that phrase people buy from people mean to you?
0: Yeah, by the way, that is a beautiful topic because, and I think it's exclamation pointed right now in the pandemic, because trying to reach people through digital means is very difficult, but it's funny. When I was at HP, I learned from Mark heard these terms like total addressable market, share of wallet, the territory mapping, quota allocation, all of the, like you say, the nuts and bolts of getting you to, okay, here I'm a salesperson, here's my chart of accounts, and then I just go do what I need to do. But here's the interesting thing, as you say, once you get to an account, There are people in that account and you need to understand that account. It's not just an account. And even within the account, who is actually purchasing? Many times we talk about that, right? You know, the notions of, you know, at the very bottom, there's the users. There's the people who support the users. There's the economic buyer. There's the decision maker, the champion, the coach. And that is a whole 360 degree view of who the customer really is And so when we're selling to these folks, it's really important to know that who are you talking to? And if you think about the customer journey, it depends who you're talking to, what you say to them. There's also this notion I find, and this is the people side as well, is in the old days, it used to be sell it and forget it, right? Sell it, move on to the next customer. Well, that's in this world of software and services and applications, It's 24-7. So this notion of customer success, staying close with your customers, staying close to your customer to ensure adoption and consumption is what it's all about because if you don't get your customer to renew, you really haven't developed that true customer experience and that customer engagement. So anyway, that's really on the sell to piece. I don't know if you have any comments on that because I also have experience on the selling to me, the buying piece, but go ahead. Any questions?
2: Absolutely, Kathy. I'd love to hear. You know, you talked about the importance of us on the vendor side understanding this ongoing, not only journey but responsibility to understand who our buyers are and care for them long beyond the, the initial sale. Talk to me about how that feels as someone making the investment as the buyer when you're being sold to, and what you recognize in terms of um, how different people sell and you engage with them.
0: Yes. It's funny. Again, I referenced the pandemic. With the pandemic, you know, you hear about the great resignation and there's been a lot of people changing roles. I find many times that the people who are selling to us may know us better than we know ourselves. And it's that relationship that is so important over time. And when I talk about relationship, what's important to me is a few things. One, your say-do ratio. If you say you're going to do something Are you gonna do it? Can I count on you? Another thing I call the influence quotient, which is not only influencing folks within my company, but more importantly, within their company. How do they influence their leaders to get what they need to get done to help us as the buyer? And this track record, by the way, of just, you can call it customer success, but customer success is really common sense around you say you're going to do something and then it actually gets done that you have metrics, you have dashboards, you have scorecards, But in the end, sometimes it's as simple as a check-in. Hey, how are you doing? Are we meeting your needs? And more now than ever, I find, do they really understand our business? Because it's one thing to solve a point problem, but we want to elevate this to the business outcomes. What am I trying to do? Am I trying to reduce total cost of ownership? Am I mitigating risk? Am I trying to accelerate revenue? Am I trying to build a stronger partnership ecosystem? What is it that I'm trying to do? And also not only talk about what the company can do, but having more industry knowledge, right? Knowing what the others are doing. So the more educated the seller is for me, it helps me get a much better perspective of how we fit in this whole scheme of things. And then- Secondly, and the first thing that I mentioned is around the whole relationship, just really making sure that you stay in touch and that you're visible.
2: Yeah. And uh, you know we're going to move into what sort of advice you would give people. But to reinforce some of what you said, we had our revenue kickoff this year with a customer panel. It was very interesting, as they said, to your point, in this world of always on notifications, digital reach outs and touches, as we asked and our sales teams asked this customer panel, what matters most to you? They were very clear. If you've solved a problem that I can relate to with someone I know and trust, you will get my attention dramatically faster than any sort of sequence, cadence, or digital listening. which brings us back to this point of how important people are and our second question. You mentioned the great resignation and how fluid the talent market's been and it feels like we may be entering another period of talent movement around the market. What advice do you give as someone who's, you know, worked with executives and large-scale selling teams driving into accounts when you've put in all this effort, you've done that first mile and suddenly you get that notification there's been a major change in a in an EB or a decision maker role that you were economic buyer that you were focused on? What advice do you give sales teams and leadership teams on how to cope and manage with the changes in the buying circles?
0: Yeah, well, it's a little bit about what I already mentioned, which is there's no such thing as one buyer within a customer, right? There's multiple people. So there's the, how do you manage the change? Within a function, there's the depth, right? So there's the, the leader, the actual user, the people who support, but then you have to look across the ecosystem, right? Because no function is an island these days right we talk about sales marketing customer success partners all of that comes together in a go-to-market strategy and focus so first making sure that you have enough contacts there and number one number two what do you communicate and how do you communicate with these folks you know if you're talking about someone who's a champion let's say someone who really is a high level influencer you know, you don't need to meet with them as often, but to be visible, to offer that advice. As you say, hey, here's something that we've done with another customer that can really help you. Or have you thought about this? That's true, true strategic partnership. If you're talking to a user, it's it's very different. It's much more around, hey, is the application working? Uh, what are the metrics? What are the dashboards? Do you have a good proactive support capability? Are you measuring adoption consumption in NPS, which is really important? Net promoter scores are, it's not just selling it and they're using it, but are they delighted by it? And so I find that understanding this whole customer journey also is very important. And you have different buyers during that customer journey, right? when you're looking at need, discover, evaluate, you're working with a certain set of people might be champion decision maker but then when you're actually purchasing onboarding and adopting purchasing is procurement onboarding and adopting you have to deal with their sales engineers you have to deal with the users and then when you optimize and you expand and renew yet again it's a different set of folks so my best advice is to really fan out spend the time be visible with these folks and as we had said there's multiple different ways to touch there's digital There's social media, right? There's direct email, direct content. But then to me, there's nothing better than the old-fashioned pick up the phone, call, let's meet, Zoom, and in these cases, hopefully more than not, in safe situations, lunches so that you can actually get together and see people.
2: I think what you just described is, again, one of those phrases that gets thrown around in the sales world, which is the importance and value of multi-threading. And so you talked about multi-channel marketing, but that also needs to be met with sales teams that know how to multi-thread in a B2B enterprise world. Multi-threading is your greatest defense against changes in roles in your buying process. The problem is, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. If you're an account manager with a multi-product line and you need to multi-thread into multiple buying centers... You're essentially a commands and control center for everything from executive engagement, mapping maybe your SEs to engineers or domain experts with different customers. And I'll finish with the second question here is, as someone who's bought technology, you and I both know, just because we have the approval and the authority to spend money doesn't mean that we don't have to actually go sell and advocate our ideas internally. So I always find when someone helps me with that journey, By multi-threading into the organization, and I walk over and say, I need to talk to you about this investment. I'm really excited about this initiative. And they say, you mean Kathy's initiative? It really makes our job as a decision maker easier when the the partner, vendor, whoever we're working with, has actually multi-threaded around us, above us, and below us. So, So with that, on our third question, as we wrap up today, is... As we actually look at how sales and marketing should be collaborating, we just talked about the importance of multi-channel marketing and multi-threaded selling. As I look at this, there's a lot of discussion around marketing and sales alignment. And some of the more advanced and modernized companies are moving beyond alignment into marketing and sales integration, where they're really much more tight. What do you think, where do you think sales and marketing have some of the biggest opportunities to collaborate with each other?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, to your point... This notion of revenue operations is something that's been around for just a little bit, right? Where it's sales, marketing, customer success are all put together so that you can approach and attack the go-to-market enigma as efficiently as possible. Because there's the traditional old way of doing things where you had marketing, they create leads, they throw it over the fence. Salespeople would take these leads, they'd complain and say, these are not good leads. They ignored them. Sales would sell, throw it over the fence, customer success would have to go and take and make sure that the customer adopted. That's really an inefficient model. And to your point, you hear a lot more about revenue operations and this kind of confluence of sales and marketing. I'd like to tell a quick little story of when I was working at VMware, we had an assignment. It was called the Keystone Project Think about Keystone pipeline, right? So it was really trying to get a pipeline that could be actionable, increase the velocity of the pipeline, the quality, and the conversion rates. Mm -hmm. And it was a cross-functional team. It was not just sales and marketing, but it was also our data organization and operations. All of us came together to try to understand several things. I think the first thing is, are we aligned when marketing creates campaigns are these targeting the customers that make sense is sales feeding feeding back feedback to marketing to ensure we have the right targets you know this pipeline playbook we were creating was something that wasn't just a marketing and a sales function data was involved ops was involved to ensure that do we have the right information that we're working on are we inspecting the right types of accounts the opportunities so that we can get the best data for forecasting. Systems and tools, demand gen and lead gen, that's another area that many times you think that's just a marketing-only activity, it is not. You <clears throat> know, Analyzing win-loss data can really help you better target where your demand and lead gen focuses should be. Routes to market was another focus, right? It's not just direct selling, as you know. The partner ecosystem is huge. There's OEMs, there's partners, there's multiple ways, sell to, sell through, all different ways that you can reach the customer. And when you're thinking about applications, the the tech touch arena, where you talk about the digital sale, is critically important in how do you get sales and marketing together. And last but not least, enablement. You know, it's one thing to create all of these great tools, capabilities, but you have to enable. You've got to enable the marketers. You've got to enable sales, customer success and enable our customers for that matter on who you are and how do you get this together so these were some of the things that we put in our project keystone to really attack this go to market problem that we had around high conversion rate pipeline you know how do we get that through faster than
2: ever actually you know It's interesting. I've been a part, as you have, of the emergence of the RevOps movement. And you mentioned a couple of things there that we'll close on. You mentioned that the old ways can be somewhat inefficient. I actually think of them as the analog ways, which is it was very human dependent, lagging indicator. Let's get a big meeting and analysis together. Whereas now you mentioned what I actually call the power triangle of execution. When you want to translate strategy into execution, you need three people, your operations team, your enablement team, And that frontline manager that's aware that there aren't these silos across go-to-market today, that marketing is working very hard to provide intense signals, digitally enriched and handed off leads. And now we have the ability to ensure that our sales teams are not only aligned, but actually integrated with these signals and following up in the accounts with the right personas. Because at the end of the day, the two things that I think we discovered today, Kathy, is there are two things that are hidden in plain sight. People buy from people, and pipeline is a team sport. Forecasting, frankly, I know it's important, but it's not complicated. It's just hard. Pipeline is complicated. It's a cross-functional, multi-dimensional, multi practice, yet we all have this habit of just wanting to invest so much in the forecast when really what makes and breaks your growth or the company is, do you have that pipeline playbook? Do your ops enablement and frontline managers understand it? And do you have the telemetry and automation with which to drive it? Because we both know technology is an amplifier. And so if we don't have clarity on the business process, we don't have clarity in terms of what we're intending, the technology can only get us so far. So with that, Kathy, any closing comments today? I really want to thank you for your time and wish you the best of luck until our next connection.
0: Yes, Art, it was absolutely delightful. And I think I love what you're doing around this hidden plain sight and actually reaching out and talking to peers and other industry friends. I think it is terrific to share the brain trust because I learned as much from you. Hopefully, I was able to give you some food for thought as well. But I think the most important thing is people buy from people,
1: people learn from people. So thanks for that opportunity, Art.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Kathy. Have a great day.
1: Here in Implant Site, the Enterprise Revenue Intelligence Podcast is brought to you by PeopleLive. Make sure to search for Hidden Implant Site in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at AI, thanks a lot for listening.